Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire series of Harry Bosch, so please proceed with extreme caution. That's bullshit and you know it. No, I don't know it. Deep down, neither do you. Let me ask you something. Why is it you think that Lewis and Clark were pulled back on investigating the doll-making shooting? Who do you think reigned them in? When Bosch didn't say anything, Irving nodded. You see, we had a decision to make. Would it be better to see one of our detectives dragged through the papers and brought up on criminal charges, or for him to be quietly demoted and transferred? He let that hang there for a few seconds before continuing. Another thing. Lewis and Clark came to me last week with a story about what you did to them, cuffed them to that tree. Very brutal, that was. But they were as happy as a couple of high school cheerleaders after an evening with the football team. They had you by the balls, and they were ready to put the papers in right then. They, they had me, but I had them. No, that's what I'm telling you. They came to me with a story about the bug in the phone. That's what you told them. But the thing is, they didn't drop the bug in your phone like you thought. I checked it out. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They had you. Then who? Bosch stopped right there. He knew the answer. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Also, please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages that are set up just for our fans. Now that all that's out the way, it's time for us to get back to work and probe deep into the Black Echo. Last time on the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored part seven of the Black Echo. We're doing the surveillance the next morning. Bosch realizes that Rourke is complicit in the robberies. Acting alone, the ID detectives Lewis and Clark enter the vault about a shot during an ambush. Acting on pure instinct, Bosch goes into the tunnels alone to search for the tunnelers, but is later shot himself. Shortly thereafter, Rourke finds the injured Bosch and is poised to kill him, but instead is shot and killed by Wish. During this episode, we will be taking a deep dive into part eight Sunday, May 27th. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It is my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn a page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Bosch is awakened from a dream concerning metals by Jerry Egger, who has snuck into his room against orders. Egger advises Bosch that he is in Martin Luther King Drew Medical Center near Watts due to the type of gunshot he sustained. 
Edgar further advises Bosch to feign that he is having memory loss concerning the events that took place in the tunnel. Edgar tells Bosch that Rourke and Lewis are dead and that Clark is being kept alive until they can line up recipients for his organs. Edgar also tells Bosch that LAPD and FBI are claiming that Rourke, Lewis, and Clark are valiant soldiers who died in the line of duty. Edgar also tells Bosch that the Times is reporting that Lewis and Clark were part of the FBI investigation, and Edgar knows that's a lie. Bremer has to be calling with the suspicions, but to protect himself, Edgar says he knows nothing. Bosch reawakes and is interviewed by Deputy Chief Irving and two FBI officials for 90 minutes. Bosch asks what they have found at Rourke's place, but is told that it's none of his business. When Irving warns Bosch not to shoot his mouth off about officers killed in the line of duty without supporting evidence, Bosch can't hold back and say it's pathetic. Irving responds by telling Bosch, if he did what was right, maybe Bosch would be reassigned back to the Robbie Homicide Division. Shortly after the group had left, Irving responds back to Bosch's room, utilizing the pretense of giving him a get-well card. During this encounter, Irvin explains that his primary responsibility is to protect the department and illustrated this by the decision not to prosecute Bosch concerning the Dollmaker case. Chief Irving further states that he had suspicion that something was going on concerning this investigation when Lewis and Clark told him about the bug in Bosch's phone. Chief Irving advises Bosch that the two ID detectives did not place the bug in his phone. Irvin finally told Bosch to think about the department before he did anything and then walked out. Sometime later, Eleanor stops by to visit Bosch. During her visit, Wish runs down the events concerning Lewis and Clark. Eleanor further advises Bosch that she's quitting the FBI. After an uncomfortable silence, Bosch and Wish discuss Rourke's possible motives concerning the break-in at Beverly Hills Safe and Lock. Bosch also tells Wish He's bothered that Rourke used the word share, like there is someone else out there to split the diamonds with. As Wish was preparing to leave, Bosch asked her not to quit and stay. Wish responded by stating she had to leave. About an hour or so after Wish had left his room and feeling restless, Bosch puts in motion a ruse to distract his IED watchman guarding his room. Upon arriving to the station on Wilcox, Bosch begins to review the case again knowing that Rourke is the killer. After reviewing several reports to include Meadows' service record, Bosch comes up empty. Bosch decides to check his home phone messages. Both Chief Irving and Lieutenant Pounds had called him, admonishing him to stay away from the investigation. Bosch notices a note concerning to call Sharky's mother and decides to listen to the Sharky interview again. He rewinds the tape too far and ends up listening to a half minute of another interview that was concluding. Bosch hears a conversation between Wish and Sharky that took place between the time Bosch started the tape and arriving in the interview room. During this conversation, Wish asks Sharky if he recognized her. Sharky replies no, that he's never done any federal time. Bosch stops the tape and rewinds it again to listen to the exchange between Sharky and Eleanor. He listens to it over and over again. He finally pulls off his headphones and flung them across the table and then yells, Damn it! In 
And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme of this chapter, part 8, Sunday, May 27th, is Revelations. Hello. We're going to start hitting the street here. And we start this chapter by uh, having been in Bosch's head concerning a dream and the dream of the tunnels. And we kind of get a sense of what he was talking to the doctors at the sleep disorder and the type of dreams he's having. Again, some of those themes of who his namesake is. And you know what he's also talking, he's also not talking, he's actually thinking about one of the promises he made from or made to or him and Meadows had together, you know, the, the saying, remember the promise Hieronymus. And that is, seems to be this over theme, this, this theme throughout the whole book. And some people probably say, okay, why did he get so involved with Meadows so soon? And for me, of course, everyone counts and no one counts. But it had, a, to me, a deeper meaning. But here's a guy back in the tunnels. Again, he had this promise to this guy. They would not leave each other in the tunnel. He would come get them. Because that's, that's some things are worse than death. We, we, talked that, that, we talked about that in prior books. Excuse me, prior chapters. And I think everyone knows where, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you pretty much know where I'm going to go next, with this next chapter, this next portion. Jerry Egg, my boy Jerry. <laughs> you know, Jerry is Jerry. But let's look at Jerry, his motives. And, you know, if you looked at it just on the surface, Bosch and Jerry are total opposites when it comes to their dedication to the job. But Jerry is very valuable to Bosch. Because I don't think Bosch could be who he is without a type of character or a type of person that Jerry Egger is. No, Jerry does not have the same dedication as Bosch does. No, he doesn't have the same um, go get it. He's looking out for himself. And we don't know Jerry's, all back, uh, Jerry's backstory as of yet in this particular portion of the book. We just have him as a character who is not as dedicated. But as I was telling you before, I believe it was in episode one where we talked about my liking to Jerry Eggers because he said, look, I do my job, man. I do what I'll get paid for. But let's look, you know, Jerry is here at great risk of his, you know, of his own. Well, what I say last time, you know, man, when, when can a guy be, uh, when, when a man can be brave, you know, when he's scared. And we know this goes against everything that Jer- what Jerry's putting himself out there because he says if he's caught, he'll get probably worse than, than go to a district where they're shooting, they're shooting all the time. I think as they call it, shoot Newton. You know, he, he, says to, he says to Harry, you know, I, I, went, I had to get in here and talk to you before, you know, because the suits, the silks are, excuse me, the silks are, and then going to the silk suit and how we talked about how uh, most ID, especially back then, ID investigative detectives had, wore silk suits, so we called them the silks. But they were all crawling around just trying to get into the room with Bosch as he woke up so he can get the, the, the story, unfiltered story as Bosch saw it. But again, this is Jerry Edgar. And, and I like Jerry because he's at his own personal risk. Because who wants to you know Jerry has, has been developed here? He is a real estate man. He's out here making more money on his real estate gig than he is making um, as, a, as an investigator. So he's putting up his own wealth, his own, what he values to come in there and talk to Bosch. So I have no problem with Jerry uh, coming in here. Actually, I love the fact that Jerry is coming in here to give Bosch a heads up because 
in as an investigator, information is power. And Jerry gives uh, Bosch some good information during this particular exchange. And before we move on, I wanted to talk about, at least for me, give you the listeners and understand what type of person I am when it comes to work. <laughs> if you wanted to, if, when I was a rookie, and I made so many rookie mistakes, and hard-headed, not listening to my training officers, wanted to do things my way, just really bullheaded. Well, they used to tell me, my, uh, my sergeant back there, said, you know, we're going to slow you down. And the way it was so torturous, we had a railroad track in my district where I was when I first came out of the academy and I was in patrol. And they, so they, they pulled me out of the scout car and they put me patrolling the railroad tracks. You're talking about someone who learned a lesson really quickly because a week walking the railroad tracks <laughs> slowed me down in my mind so much. I was like, uh, I still, again, 29 years later, I remember. You know, you, you it, 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 we, they, they, we, they tree boxed you. And again, not too soon. What tree boxing you is, think of in a city, there is um, where you have a tree and the four bo- the box around it. They pretty much told you, don't you leave outside that box. That's, that's, your, that's your patrol for the day. And your supervisors watched you to make sure that you didn't leave without the, outside that particular box. So we call it tree boxing. And, you know, everyone has their different definitions, but that's how I define tree boxing. But pretty much your supervisor's watching you and make sure you are where you are, where you're supposed to be, because if you didn't, you got rolled up for it. So not only did they put me, because I tried, okay, so yeah, okay, you're going to put me on, on the railroad track. I'm going to do my own thing. And then I tried to deviate or, or get off that railroad track. <laughs> I, was, I got caught a couple of times, though. I learned a lesson really quickly. But you're talking about a guy who day went so, take, if you, that's the way they, 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 my supervisors learn really quickly. Oh, you want to get to him? Oh, you want to get to Phil? Yeah, put him on or watching the railroad track. Well, as you say, watch paint dry. You know, some some people like that. Some people say, hey, my day is easy and I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, I do my eight and go home. You know, I do my eight and skate, as they said. But no, not me. Boy, if you wanted to really get to me, yeah, put me on a railroad track watching the railroad track. I mean, ah, that slowed me down a lot. You know, and Jerry, at this portion, Jerry tells him, you know, dude, don't worry about what happens. You know, you, you don't, don't have amnesia right here because you got shot and you being shot, you, you have the ability or you have the right not to remember anything and just take the eight, 80% disability and fuck them and go away. Now, that, that's again, we, that's Jerry. And I have, again, I, I, I know people, I'm pretty sure we know people who aren't dedicated to the mission as much as uh, Bosch is. But again, we don't know Jerry's backstory. And I know a lot of good cops who after the years just got grind up and they said, fuck it, just give me my 80%, I'm getting the hell out of here. And again, that 80% disability, that goes with a lot when it comes to taxes and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But this actually to- tells you that Jerry really doesn't know Bosch too well, and I'm not sure whose fault that is, or, or can you put a blame on it as whose fault, because at this portion of the uh, book of Harry's story and his development, you kind of get a sense that he is a loner, and it's, uh, in a sense that he doesn't, he goes against the grain, he's going to do things his own way. but you know, how do we know uh, Jerry could have got uh, screwed over by the brass before or seen people who do get who have got uh, screw, uh, screwed by the brass? So but it also tells you that Jerry does not know Bosch because no way is Bosch is going to just, quote unquote, have amnesia, not remember what's going to go on. He's going to take the 80 percent and just walk away. But that's the type of guy, um, 
um, Jerry is. And again, I have no problem with Jerry being that way. I know who he is. I know what I can get from him. I won't be disappointed, you know, up or down or positive or negative. Jerry is who he is. And Bosch kind of looks around, you know, Jerry reads him and said, you know, Bosch is, you know, why, why pretty much, like, why am I at MLK? And, you know, as Jerry called it, MLK is a, a gun and knife club. Every major city has a public hospital that service the area, the crime um, area of the city where the crime is rampant. And those doctors know their shit. They, I've watched, I witnessed, you know, we, I get on the scene. One of the things that we, um, one of the things that we do is we always have a patrol scout car, especially uh, if it's gang related or violence related. We always had a scout car follow the, the ambulance uh, from the crime scene to the hospital. And if you are helping out or doing a violent crime investigation, you rush to the hospital as the uh, as one of the detectives assigned to the case. I've seen people you get on the scene and say, "No way, this dude's gonna make it." You know, you get shot by uh, a forty caliber mid torso area. He's like, "No way, this guy gonna make it." But you go to this hospital and again here is uh, MLK uh, in 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 Los Angeles, and they can pull people out. So as a cop, or if you I'll tell you right now. If you're a citizen and you get shot, you can ask any cop. If you get shot, stabbed, or something serious like that, take me to the MLKs of, of the city because they're going to pull you out. Now, when you're convalescing and, you know, you need some follow-up surgery or whatever, you know, something very dainty, it didn't take me to the nice, plush, you know, slow area to, uh, the, uh, of the city where, where the doctors are in a nice uh, gowns and, and whatever those doctor smocks is and, you know, it, it, things are slow. You could take me then afterwards after I get uh, get stable, but any cop who knows anything will let you know. Yeah, take me to take me to the MLKs of of, of the city because they're gonna you're gonna have a better chance because they know exactly what they're doing. And just like Jerry was saying, you know, here at MLK they train surgeons who are going to be going to to a field of war because they can get the practical experience. And that's just how that's just the fact of the matter. If you're going to be a surgeon in a field of war. These type of injuries, knives and gunshots, you're going to see them. You're going to be prepared to you know, help the servicemen out there once you get this type of training. We get a sense of uh, how Bosch, still even in his days, still throwing jabs at Jerry. Now, again, come on, Bosch. Jerry just, as for him, risks coming up there, give you some information. And the information he gives you, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more in, uh, in, in a second, but it's very valuable. And I have no, uh, if you think about it, if you've been around for a while, be, being um, in the districts, as, as they call it, shoot Newtons or Hollywood Division, where every time you're just ripping and running all the time. Now, I have no problem with that. I, as I just finished saying, give me a district where I'm going to be running and, and gunning because it makes my day go so much faster. You know, I, you know, I start at, say, a, a, a 7 o'clock in the morning. By the time I look up, you're like, God damn, it's 12 o'clock already or shit, it's two o'clock already. You know, your day is halfway gone and you know, you have a lot of work to do that made my day go much faster. But I'll tell you right now, if you sometimes, you know, again, every district, every city has the same districts where, you know, things are as quote unquote, the shoot Newtons or you have, we used to call this one, you know, this one area, uh, the squirrel chasers <laughs> district where pretty much the only thing they did all day, all day long. And again, not really, but you know, you go from the shoot Newtons to a district where um, the citizens are nice to you. You got 
thousands of, you know, thousands, you got hundreds of people walking up to you say, hey, detective, I saw it all opposed to the district like shooting Newton where like, dude, I, don't, I don't know nothing, don't see nothing, don't, don't know anything. And it is nice to go to uh, other districts where you can grab a bite to eat and you don't have to worry about someone spitting in your food or, you know, going to the grease spoons where your cholesterol is just going to go, you know, skyrocketing. So there is something to say, you know, every once in a while you would like to go to a slower district. And, you know, to enjoy your, you know, of course, do your job. But, you know, who wants to eat at a greasy spoon every day? Who wants to go to a dish to go someplace to get some, grab something to eat where you have to worry about the, you know, the, 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 the cook in the back you locked up before and he's going to spit in your food or something like that? You know, because that does happen. That does happen. You know, Jerry actually remember Jerry again tells Bosch, you know, it's your right to not remember that that's come that 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 passage. And this whole paranoia, Jerry, is founded in a lot of lot of circumstances because you don't know which way the brass wants things to fall. And we're going to talk about this a little later, but sometimes they make up their mind, just like we don't sometimes let the chips fall as they may. Um, that's, sometimes management has their own agenda. And again, we're going to talk about you know, a little bit about um, management and their agendas and how it, it sometimes just is totally differs than you, the line investigator. So, but you know, what, why is Jerry feeling this way? And I would love to ask Michael that question. Where, where did he draw that, that Jerry's paranoia and Jerry's disdain for management? Cause he knows that, you know, management is going to try to fuck him a little bit. So I like to talk to Michael about that. So we get into the information and again, information is power. What what Jerry's risking, and again, what Jerry is risking here, he's providing Bosch with a lot of good information. No, he's talking to Jerry about how it looks like LAPD and FBI are using the same statement and concerning the investigation that everyone involved, officers of valor who who went out, you know, serving the community, and that's really good for Bosch to know because now he knows adversaries. He knows what they're coming in for. He knows, and he can make a choice. He can make an educated choice. Do I go along to get along, or do I lay, lay it out where it's supposed to be and let the chips fall as they may? But now he's armed with that information, and, and he can now he can make his uh, decision based on what Jerry, again, what, what the risk is, but he can make an informed decision on what he's going to do. And so also, again, you know, we, you know when Jerry leaves, Bosch, you know, tries to turn the television on and, you know, or, or get a newspaper and, and there's like this media blackout because, again, the brass does not want his information that they're going to give him to be tainted by anyone else. They want to get it straight from his as he as he remembers. And then that goes to the show us, the, 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 the viewers of this whole conversation between him and Jerry, Bosch and Jerry, is that what risk that Jerry did have coming into that, that room? Because management went so far as to have a media blackout on Bosch to make sure he doesn't, he can't get any, uh, any backstory that he's going to give it to them, give it to him straight. So then we have Harry waking up and he sees, again, throughout the this, this story, this book, uh, Conley gives a great description of back then. And I would pretty much say still some ID type of uh, people, you know, $800 pinstripe suit. A uh, gold watch uh, and a and a onyx uh, ring. You, you tell me what working cop is going to dress like that. So we got this uh, young um, person who definitely, as Bosch wakes up, knows his ID, 
and we later find out that he is a uh, a son of a, a, a another uh, deputy chief in the department, being uh, as Bosch said, do, uh, groomed and doomed, you know, to to move up the ranks. And again, as a cop, I've seen hundreds hundreds of those type of people who have legacy legacy law enforcement on the department, and uh, the the chiefs are grooming their children to be chiefs themselves. So the up and rising uh, silk suit, as he called him, runs out of the room and then brings in Deputy Chief Irving uh, and two FBI officials. And they start to, um, you know, uh, you know, as they enter the room, Bosch being his ever <laughs> smart ass self says, you know, again from the book, if I known uh, so many suits were waiting for me, I would have set an alarm. Uh, but they uh, didn't give me an alarm clock or a phone that works or a TV or newspaper. <laughs> well, I think Bosch actually said this for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, at least Michael put this in here for a couple of reasons. Is because one, I, you know, I, yes, all you guys are going to interview me, but I want you to understand. I know what's going on. You're trying to control, you know, what I say, or I, you know, not to not control what I say, but hear unfiltered. And again, they don't seem to know Harry because he's going to give it to him straight. He's going to tell him straight, so you didn't have to go in this media blackout. But what it did do. Again, like I was saying just a little while ago, uh, it gave Harry the information that that uh, Edgar was how valuable that information that Edgar gave Harry. The fact that mattered, all these people were coming in here, and so be prepared. And again, I like from the book uh, again just this back and forth that Bosch is not afraid to you know, engage in with with uh, the powers that be. Again, from the book, his uh, deputy chief goes, "Let's do this from the top." Bosch, uh, you start telling us everything about this deal from the moment you climbed in. And Bosch comes back over top and says, you got a couple of days? <laughs> um, the fact that Bosch is given a statement without any... Now, most of the departments, you know, officer-involved shootings or, or in a line of shootings, you have to give a statement. And the fact that Deputy Chief Irving was there conducting the, the, um, the interview shows how important this particular event was. It wasn't just, again, no, there's no run of the mill, but no ordinary shooting involving officers. This was this, this elevated to where chief had to come in. And the fact how chief told him, said, look, I, I'm going to stop the tape here, but this is the last time I'm going to stop it. If you keep on being a smart ass, then I'm going to have that badge of yours uh, within a day or two. And that goes pretty much every department. Again, you have a certain time period in which you can get yourself together to then make sure that you have a clear, concise statement. But the fact that the chief is like, look, I'm, I'm, you're going you're gonna to tell me what's going on. You're going to tell me what the hell happened. And you got to like the fact that Harry, knowing, of course he knows his rights. Uh, because you remember the time they were in the room with the pounds and, uh, and the first thing he said, he wanted, you know, he wanted to get some, um, he wanted legal representation. He, he knows his rights and everything. but. Again, he's like, look, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, I'm going to just tell it like it is and, you know, let the chips fall as they may. But I kind of like the fact how Michael puts us in the world of a cop making a decision right then and there to just lay out the facts and go for go forward the, the, the truth. The, the fact of the matter that in this passage that is noted that no one's taking notes. And remember the very first podcast we did, my, my brother Alan, he pointed out the fact the, the, the officer's uh, notepad, notebook is his lifeline. You got to write your notes down. And the fact of the matter is that the only thing that no one took notes 
And the only thing they were going to rely on was the tape because they wanted to make sure, hey, again, my opinion, my estimate, that they wanted to say, if he wasn't told in the, the company line, then there's no other than this tape in which, quote unquote, the tape could get lost to to discredit and or to validate what he said. So I thought that was that was quite, quite interesting how Michael made that observance. So after he finished giving his uh, interview, it was Michael, uh, excuse me, it was uh, Harry's time to ask questions. And he asked about Rourke and what they found so far in the investigation. And Irving pretty much tells him in his fashion, you know, no, that's not, not your concern that your investigation has been reassigned. And again, the fix is in. They're going to control this thing. They're not going to lay it out the way that he thought they were going to lay it out. And, and the fact that none of the other people in the room would meet his eyes, that they all, their eyes got averted and they looked down and looked, and looked around, right there, it just tells you they knew that this was fucked up. But as fucked up as it is, they're going to, do, they're going to still do what they're going to do to protect the quote-unquote family. And then we get a glimpse of, now, it's not just LAPD, but FBI. Every, every, everyone's going to protect their own circle of the wagons. And here we are. They're going to, this is a way they can do it by pushing Bosch out of the way and to take the investigation from him. And then you got how serious, you know, Irving really, then he really ups it even more. He told, tells Bosch, hey, before you go popping off your mouth and uh, uh, presenting evidence, uh, uh, accusations without evidence that you could prove, I'm giving you an order. Do not contradict the official statement from um, LAPD and FBI or risk being fired. I mean, you know, direct order from the deputy chief, you know, pretty much you keep your mouth shut and it's not your job to uh, to to go against what the family has said uh, or you you risk a lot. It pretty much tells you how serious this situation is. So Bosch is going to have to make a decision. And then, you know, Bosch then comes up and says, oh, you know, if you didn't know, if you didn't want to know what, what happened, why interview me? Why, 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 why? Why ask me questions? And Irving, then you, you get a glimpse. And again, Irving's world is not such black and white. Being on for 29 years, I kind of, I want to say empathize, but he, I, he, Michael does a great job of putting us in the world of, of, of cops. Again, this is why I like this particular author. He does a great job of putting us in a particular Cops frame of mind, and so is you know we are we've been in Harry's frame of mind, Edgar's, but now uh, here you got the, the top echelons of the department, and he pretty much tells Bosch here you know from the book you know he says he says oh no we want to know what happens, but we're going to control the information that the public knows, and you know Bosch goes you know that's pathetic, and I like Irvin says and so are you, so are you, and Chief you know gives Bosch you know tells Bosch. You know, in his strong-willed way, because you know, technically, Bosch does have the department and FBI by the cojones, by you know, by the balls. Because if he goes out there and runs his mouth about everything that happened, it's going to be egg on everyone's face. But Irving kind of throws him a lifeline and say, "Look, if you do the right thing, then you could probably be back at RHD." And again, you know, Irving is a guy, a junkyard dog, as again, as my as as we discussed in previous um, books. Excuse me. Previous uh, episodes, that junkyard dog, dog you need, you want. Every department needs a junkyard dog, and for the junkyard dog to throw out this carrot to Bosch, it pretty much says, "Hey, look, I know you got us. We can kind of get you, but do the right thing here. Be part of the family, and I'll make it worth your while." So, when the the the, the procession leaves Bosch's room, Irving does something that 
it's clearly to, to emphasize to me, I got this. It came through loud and clear to me. They comes back into and does something that's uncharacteristic for, for Irving because he I, I think he understands his audience. He, he, he's been around long enough. He understands what he's you know, the, the, the those threats and everything that he just did to Bosch was pretty much for FBI's benefit. And so he comes back into Bosch's room, you know, at a pretense of, you know, had to re, you know, return a card or give Bosch a card. And so when, when the chief comes back into the room, he tells Bosch, you know, it's no doubt you are good at what you do. And you are a good detective, but you're not a good officer. And that line is, is paramount who Bosch is. And what he says, you know, he, he, he actually tells Bosch, you know, you refuse to be part of the family. And someone told me early in my career, and this person knows who they are, they said morals and principles are expensive, Phil. Morals and principles are expensive. And I, it, it didn't happen overnight. It's kind of like this python. I, I, I always use this analogy of a, of a snake. And I like um, Michael, uh, Michael Connolly's writing because he, he writes like a, like a python, just kind of slowly coils around you. And then soon it tightens up on you. And you go, oh, shit, I'm, 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 I'm done. I mean, I didn't even know this was going to happen. And that's what I, you know, I like about his writing style. And, but in, in, in my career, I'm, you know, you don't make a decision right off the bat. I'm going to be this righteous cop and, you know, da, 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 da. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's like death by a thousand cuts. You overlook this thing and then you overlook that thing. And then years go by later. And then you're this person who you never thought you were going to be. So it didn't, it doesn't happen overnight. And that person who told me principles and morals are expensive. That's what right here I took from what Irving said that Bosch refused to be part of the family. And you got to make a decision. It, it's going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to say that anyone who moved up the rank compromised themselves. And every, every officer and every cop has to make that decision on what they will and will not accept. And again, we, you know, we, we see you know, in this book already, Harry's not beyond putting a bug in someone else's phone to, to, to further his investigation for the quote-unquote greater good. And Again, so you, you, I'm not just saying that Harry's all righteous, and, but there's certain lines that all of us, we, have, we won't cross. Do not do it, won't, won't do it, and we won't cross that line. But they come at a price, and Harry is going to be forever paying that price because he refused to get in the family. I know for a fact, I, you know, being my partner was not an easy thing because at times I got in trouble for not being quote-unquote part of the family. And my partners at the time suffered because they were like, hey, you're, guilty, you're guilty for association. So he got to take the shit details. So do, so do you. And again, that was another pressure point on, on me because my partner, I felt sorry that my partner was getting crushed for something that I wouldn't do to be part of, be quote unquote part of the family. And you know, this what, what was great. And to give everyone, I keep going back to this. You know, you got to understand um, Harry has a job to solve crimes and people at deputy chief position have a have a job to protect the family, protect the department and good, bad or different. If we don't have the civilians or citizens trust and and help, we couldn't do our job. It's impossible to do this job without buying in from the citizenry. You got to have it. They have to understand you got to be able to trust you. You got to be able to trust that the information that you're giving them is true. But at the time, we're, we're, again, I, I, so I can't really go get too hard on, on 
on deputy chief now because you know 29 years in I, you know i got a different perspective but back then could you imagine uh, the department in the, in the united states back then when the rodney king just had happened and motorists you know people saw for the first time on live camera cops beating an unarmed citizen that people have been talking especially in this community the black community back then was really saying, hey, there's been a lot of cops using excessive force and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And now you have this videotape showing all the excesses that they've been talking about. And then on top of that, you then have this, this atmosphere where you got dirty, uh, dirty FBI agent, you know, masterminding this whole particular bank robbery. And you got a, a, a dead Vietnam veteran. All Could you imagine the political blowback that could have happened? And again. Right, wrong, and difference. I I can understand where Irving's coming from because again, life is not black and white, and especially at that upper echelon, they do things for the you know greater good. Now, it, you know you have to make your own choice if is what they're doing righteous, or at the end of the day, is it that I can so I can do my job to protect citizens? I have to sometimes limit the information that goes out to the public. That's a hard choice, hard decision. But you need, like I said, I'm not going to get mad at a junkyard dog. Sometimes they have to be the junkyard dog to to protect the family, to protect the PD. And, you know, to drive this point home, you know, again, from the book, it's the same goes for the FBI, you know, or the Federal Bureau of Investigation, as he calls it. They will grind you up before they publicly flog themselves with Rourke. So what I'm telling you is the rule is that you have to go along to get along. And Bosch says, that's bullshit. You know it. And Deputy, you know, Deputy Chief Irvin goes, no, I don't know that. And deep down, neither do you. And Bosch didn't have any answer for that because I think he deep down, you know, everybody wants to believe this righteousness. But, you know, what did they say? Uh, Law enforcement investigations are like sausage. You know, everyone likes how it tastes, but no one wants to see how uh, how you make it. You know, then you really, 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 really get into not only the the importance of of Irving coming back into the room to to kind of plead with Bosch, you know, to, you know, he even gives after Bosch said that's bullshit. He said, really? Bullshit? Who do you think, you know, stopped Lewis and Clark on that whole dollmaker case? And now here's, that, again, that dollmaker case, the omnipresent dollmaker case. They've been talking about it throughout this book. You know, who do you think kind of pulled them back? It's the same me, pretty much. And when he didn't say anything, he shook his head like, you know, again, he gave his example why he did it. Do we publicly flog a detective? You know, do we bring him through the mud on the criminal charges? Or do we quietly um, demote him and put him off somewhere like in Hollywood Division? Again, the greater good. And then, you know, and he also gives another example. That whole thing that you did to Lewis and Clark with, you know, handcuffing him to the tree. <laughs> like we said, that's brutal stuff, <laughs> which it was. But again, do I take, do I publicly let the citizens know and to, you know, pu- put out there what you did? It's especially when I, you know, when you told them about dropping the bug, the fact of the matter is that I know they didn't drop the bug because I checked it out. Bosch says, well, you know, Irving says, well, they had you. And Bosch says, no, no, well, they had me, but I had them. He said, no, 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 I checked it out. They didn't drop the bug on you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And then Bosch goes, well, then, and then he understood who dropped the bug on him. And again, Irving, you know, tells him, think about the department. Again, think about it again in his junkyard way of being, a, you know, even though he's a junkyard dog, kind of plead with Bosch, dude, this is a mess. This whole thing is a mess. It's all fucked up. Think about the department. Think about before you do something that you might regret or the department might regret, think about it. And again, that's, his, oh, that's, that's Irving's own way 
to plead with Bosch without, you know, losing control uh, or looking like he really need Bosch to kind of plead with Bosch, like just do what's best for the department. And that got to be a, that's going to have to be a tough decision for Bosch. I don't know. What would you do? Let me know. So in a fit of anger after um, Irving leaves, Bosch lashes out at a vase of uh, daisies on the, on the stand next to his bed. Just think of how frustrating he, now he is. Now he has benefited from all these different relevations that have come out uh, about him, his career, uh, Lewis and Clark. He's benefited, unbeknownst to him, of Irving protecting the family. And, I, I, you know, so everything he thought he was fighting against, again, I guess that was what Irving was talking about. Deep down, you know it's true also, re- reference to protecting the brand, protecting the PD. And, and so he's frustrated and he, he lashes out. And I think out of everything, as he's talking to himself, he says he's just not sure about anything anymore. So I'd like to take a quick break and to acknowledge a fellow podcaster, uh, Mr. Michael Conley. Um, his podcast, Murder Book, is up and running right now. And I happened to, I took the opportunity to listen to it. And I thought it was very good. Very, I like what he's doing. And it's very engaging already. I'm gripped already. And again, he, he doesn't stop. I love what Michael Conley does. So I encourage all my listeners to go out there and support Michael Conley and keep uh, keep him excited to do different ventures and different ways to give us more content because he can probably tell we are avid and ravenous uh, Harry Bosch and murder mystery uh, listeners. Or uh, so yeah, so go out there and support Michael Conley. And I also like to thank all the people so far. I mean, I love and I really appreciate. The, how we're building this thing up and I'm, as you can tell I'm tweaking it here and there so uh, please keep the feedback coming I enjoy the feedback all your feedback that you're doing if you want to see something more on the podcast uh, I'm more than open to suggestions so please contact me through the the website email admin at the thin blue line pod.com so yeah thank you again so let's get back to part eight Sunday, May 27th. So then Eleanor comes, um, comes to visit Bosch in the hospital room. And uh, she tells him that, of course, she's been interviewed by her people. And she's put on desk duty until the shooting team finishes up. Again, that's just normal protocol involved uh, whenever you have an officer that involves shooting. You put on uh, non-contact desk duty. But right off the bat, Harry has this sinking suspicions that things aren't the same with him and Eleanor. Basha kind of, you know, a little bit of banter, you know, back and forth, you know, kind of asks Eleanor, hey, what do you think that uh, Rourke did with the diamonds? And she said uh, she didn't know. But Bosch kind of also took it as though, well, she also doesn't know about him and her, you know, what is their relationship is going to be from this point on. And again, you get to see this tender side of Bosch. Uh, he, he cares about this lady. So during this conversation, Eleanor tells Bosch that she's quitting the FBI. Um, and she says she can't go back to that squad. 
And the reason she can't go back to that squad because everyone knows now Rourke is dirty. And Rourke was her supervisor. And they work closely together. So uh, everyone's going to have a suspicion like, well, if he was dirty, you must be dirty. Or why didn't you protect Rourke? Or she will always be tainted by Rourke no matter where she goes on the, the FBI, for no, no matter where she is. Or Again, specifically that squad. And as anything else with law enforcement, your rep uh, comes through the door before you. So before you go to a new assignment, you know, people are going to call around and say, hey, who's this guy right here? Who's this detective? Who's this special agent? And like, oh, my goodness. Don't, uh, don't you remember that big shootout happened in the tunnel? Yeah, that was, he was her partner or something to that effect. And they go, oh, hey, so I don't want to be bothered with her. So her reasoning for leaving the, 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 the FBI is quite understandable because she knows at this point in time, nobody's going to, she won't be effective at all. And plus just how bad things, you know, to, to, to shoot a fellow partner or a fellow officer in the way she had to do is all, she's always going to be tainted with that. No matter where you go, even if it was a righteous shooting or not. And you know, I, this is one of those little nuggets I, I would like to ask Michael about. And I I'm get, again, I'm, I'm seeking anyone's um, perspective on this. Do you, did anyone pick up on the symbolism that Eleanor was asking, Hey, where are the vases of daisies that I sent you? And those were the same vases that, or the same flowers that Harry just slung against the wall went before, just after um, Chief Irvin left out. Was there some symbolism of Harry and Eleanor's relationship? Or am I just reading too much into it? I kind of, you know, again, I don't believe Michael puts things in his writing just because. And I'm always, I'm under the opinion or impression that he put that in there specifically to symbolize Harry and Eleanor's relationship breaking up. So doing Bosch, you know, makes some you know, comment, oh, the flowers aren't delivered yet. And, you know, he, he describes the, you know, the silence is being, you know, deafening to a point. At least that's my impression of it. And then, you know, he talks to Eleanor some more about, you know, hey, things have been coming back to me. And now, you know, we see Bosch being Bosch. And, you know, he says, you know, um, it still bothers me that Rourke talked about his share of the diamonds and how that always has been haunting him, that there's someone else must be out there. Because if, if he should said all, all the diamonds are mine or, or put it in the, the tense of he doesn't have to share with anybody, you know, because all the other culprits are dead. So he talks to Eleanor about this and she kind of like just shrugs it off a little bit. And, you know, we also see Bosch going there, quote unquote, going there with Eleanor. And I like the fact that he is not afraid to go there. He loves this lady. There's no, no question. He, he cares about, well, I would say love, but right now he really cares for this lady. But this is the second time within the last day and a half that he had to pretty much check himself with Eleanor. Because remember, when he first had the information from the VA hospital, about Mello's files and how it was sanitized by Rourke. He came back to the squad, I mean, to, to the surveillance and asked uh, Eleanor, how did you get these files, you know, the, the, the ones you gave me? And that was kind of like a backhanded way of checking her veracity. And then here we go again. He asked her, you know, asked her a question. Hey, uh, Eleanor, how did you find me in the tunnel? Um, and she explains to him how she found, you know, that she went down in the tunnel with Hulk. Um, uh, or handling, excuse me, and handling 
they split up and she got lucky and, you know, she heard Rourke's voice, you know, the gunshots and heard Rourke's voice. And, you know, you know, she's, she's, after she finished telling him, telling him about the story, she says, uh, what made you think of that? And, you know, again, from the book, Bosch kind of lies. Well, not kind of, I think, I think Bosch lies, but again, from the book, it says, I don't know. It just sort of, it just sort of came up. Uh, you, uh, you saved my life. But, you know, <sighs> Yes, she did save his life. No, no question about it. But I'm thinking Bosch is going back in his head, thinking over again. Let me check all my facts. Let me check all the circumstances because I'm really, 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 really on not on sure ground here. Because, again, all the different things is coming up, all the different relevations that's uh, coming up. He is like, oh, I got to ch- I, I can go back to what I know. Let me go back to the things I know. And let me double check and triple check and quadruple check all the different things I know. So I like the fact that he's not afraid to go there. But out again, like he did with the with Metal's uh, service records, he's not out now accusing Eleanor of anything. But he is checking the box to see if it fits within that particular portion of the story. And you know, kind of tender moment here. Also afterwards, you know, as uh, Eleanor begins to leave. By asks her, you know, ask her, you know, don't quit, don't leave. And um, Eleanor says to him, she must, and, you know, says goodbye. I, you know, you kind of feel sorry for our man Harry here because he got shot. You know, the case got taken from him. His, uh, the lady love or the lady he has his, uh, uh, his affection for, she's bailing on him. He finds out all these different uh, revelations are coming at him. And he's like, you know, I, I, I'm surprised the, the, the man's not drinking right now. So after uh, Eleanor leaves, Bosch is obsessed with thinking only about Rourke and Wish. And from the book, he says, I'd be surprised too, Bosch thought. There was something else there, something he could not exactly identify, some kind of, of knowing look of recognition and resolution, not of dying, but another secret knowledge. And so he questioning everything again and what Rourke said in the tunnel about sharing and that look he gets on his face when he looks up and, and sees who, who just shot him. You know, Michael actually does a great job of describing, breaking, breaking down what a detective's job is. And again, from the book, a detective's job is to walk down the trail of evidence, examine each piece, and take it with him. At the end of the trail, what he has in his basket made or lost the case. Bosch had a full basket, but he had begun to believe that there were missing pieces. What had he missed? What had Rourke told him at the end? Not so much the words, and, but the meaning. And the look on his face, surprised, but surprised at what? Was he shocked at the bullet or shocked at where and who the bullet came from? Could it have been both? Bosch decided either way, what did it mean? That, I thought that really captured this whole basket of evidence and him feeling as, as though there's something out there missing. So based on that, he then puts in play a way to get out of the hospital. So our boy is restless, and he's thinking, you know what, I'm just sitting here wasting my time. I got to get out of this hospital. So he puts in a motion. So uh, Galvin is sitting outside watching him, and you know he has an interaction with Galvin, 
and Galvin tells uh, Bosch, oh, well, uh, we're, we're here. I'm here to protect you against the media because uh, they might come and try to get an interview from you. So which we all know is bullshit. So he puts in play. Um, um, he puts in play a ruse to get Galvin away from the door. And as, as again, our boy has no problem using his official's name and title to achieve a greater mission. You know, as you remember, when he met with Avery at the Beverly Hills Safe and Lock, he used the name. He says his name was uh, Lieutenant Pounds so, or Mr. Pounds. And so then he uses a ruse that he was Deputy Chief Irving and to get Galvin away from the door. So, you know, uh, our boy Bosch has no problem using his supervisor's names to accomplish a mission. So after Bosch leaves the hospital room, he gets a clean shirt. He responds back to the Hollywood division of Wilcox. And if you recall, back in episode two, he, one of his habits is he makes a spare copy of the murder book. And he's found making a spare copy of the murder book very helpful for him to keep murders uh, fresh in his mind. So he has his own copy, his own notes to go back over. And here we go. This, that habit has, is, is coming. It's helping him out here because he can now, because his murder book is, is in FBI's possession. And so he's restless. He needs to, he wants to solve this case. <laughs> Even though Irving gave him an order to stay away from it. Again, we, we see how he, 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 uh, our boy Bosch does not follow orders too well, but, he wants to solve this case. You know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to gnaw at him. There's too many unknowns. But remember back uh, in episode two, I believe, also, we talked about how fast word travels in a police station. Uh, I think at this time, a boy, uh, Harry, is, well, well, what happens is Barry is uh, reviewing his notes. And then Officer um, Peterson comes in and, you know, strikes up a conversation with Bosch. And he seems like he's pumping Bosch for information about the tunnel, and he's playing this old uh, Andy Griffin type of questioning, you know, Bosch on, you know, what happened into the, t- happened in the tunnels. But one of the things I wanted to take note here, Bosch makes a note of how great of an officer that this guy is. Any detective worth his salt, you have to have multiple sources of information. And one of the best multiple, one of the best sources are beat cops. Beat cops are out there every day on the street. And if you don't cultivate and a good relationship with beat cops, then you will not be a good investigator. I don't care who you are. I don't care what tools you have. The beat officer is your eyes and ears on everything. Any detective who worth their salt will let you know, hey, yeah, uh, you got to have a good beat officer uh, as, as, uh, as your eyes and ears on the street. You know, and again, during this exchange, uh, Bosch describes Peterson and what happened to him when he locked up a, and again, the terminology back in the 90s, um, they referred to a transvestite as he-she's. And back then, the fear of HIV transmission from the gay community uh, was, was, was rampant. I mean, I, 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 I would be telling you lies that we had her horror stories like the one Bosch describes that this uh, officer went through about being scratched on the neck and thinking uh, for two years had to sweat out uh, the AIDS test to see if he was going to develop AIDS. I mean, those type of stories are prevalent in any big major city not, and to, to include ours. It happened. And so, again, it tells you 
you know, terminology and ignorance back in the early 90s opposed to where we are now in 2019. So, you know, after he blows off, the officer said, hey, pretty much I'm not going to give you any information. He thinks about calling his, um, everything he's been doing, he comes up with a blank. You know, he's like, I have nothing to go on. I read, we read his notes. He's gone through everything that he has at his disposal. And he's coming up with blanks. He doesn't, you know, nothing is knowing that Rourke now is the killer. Looking at the investigation over again, there's no avenue in which he could follow up on. So uh, he thinks about calling his um, his home to see if he have any messages. So he gets at Jerry Edgar's desk just in case his phone was bugged. And that his phone being bugged back in the 90s, we had issues in our PD. Uh, actually, they used to have this little this this tape on the uh, phone to pretty much to say, hey, your conversations aren't yours. You know, there's no private conversation. This this is the department's phone, and we have we we I can't the exact terminology, but something to the effect of we reserve the right to monitor the conversation. So Bosch calls on Jerry Edgar's phone, calls his house, and of course Pounds and and Chief Irving are looking for him. You know, he, again he gets explicit he gets explicit orders not to investigate or do what he's doing right now, um, investigating the case. But he looks down and he sees a note, you know, Jerry Edgar had made a notation to call Sharky's mom. And so then he has his epiphany, say, you know what, let me re-listen to the Sharky uh, interview. But remember, he gave Eleanor the tape, of, the tape interview of Sharky. So every department had a big reel uh, or another tape that went a little bit slower, but you can then could go back and make multiple copies of the interview. So it was like the original master copy. So Bosch goes back to the master copy. He pops the cassette and he's listening to it. And he finds himself that he actually rewound or take too far. Long story short, he hears this conversation between Eleanor and Sharky that he did not know. And he put it together. It must have been at the time he went to start the tape until he, you know, started the tape and then walked back into the interview room. But Eleanor says something here that just crushes Bosch. And I'm going to read again from the book. Um, Sharky says, uh, what are you looking at? And Eleanor, uh, I don't know. And Bosch says, well, that's Eleanor. You know? he says, I, w- I was wondering if you knew me. You seem familiar. Uh, I didn't realize I was staring. What? You know, he says, well, why should I know you? I never did any fed shit. You know, and she says, I don't know. Uh, never mind. You look familiar. That's all. I was wondering if you recognize me. And then she says, well, let's just wait till Detective Bosch comes back. And Bosch listens to his, he, they describe Bosch's heart pretty much stops. And again, he, that sinking feeling again, and he rewinds the tape over and over again. And again, she uses the exact same terminology that Mr. Rolex used just before Sharky is uh, found dead in the tunnel. That over the underpass, and he listens to Bosch listens to this particular conversation over over and again, and then he he gets so frustrated, so mad, and so hurt. All these feelings are just rushing through him. He he takes off his headphones and throws them across the room and says, "Damn it!"
so by everyone counts but no one counts person in this chapter part 8 Sunday May 27th is going to be drum roll Edgar <laughs> and I know I hope I would love to know how many people guessed I said Edgar right here and I hope I'm not being too predictable but I think you probably get a sense of who I am and what I value and again Harry as we get undisputably Harry is the is the star of the books no question but the fact that I like what Edgar did I'm sorry I like the fact that Edgar you know in his world he's risking a lot I mean it, that's his value he values you he values uh, being a real estate agent he values uh, an easy nine to five job but he wants to be a good cop also or at least a decent cop but he puts all that on the line for Harry and he goes into and gives Harry the, the, the lowdown that Harry definitely uses right here this information as I was saying earlier this information that, that Edgar gave him about what the department's leaning is. I mean, it was imp it was so important for the department to put a, a media blackout on 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 Harry to lock his phone down for no telephone calls, no no television, no newspaper. But Edgar understood that. Edgar goes in there and Edgar gives Bosch this information about what's going on and what to look out for. Again, so my everyone counts or no one counts is my boy Jay Edgar. Well, friends, that concludes this episode, part eight, Sunday, May 27th. And please join me next time where we will be taking another deep dive into part nine, May 28th, Memorial Day Observed. And if you can be so kind to continue your subscriptions on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and keep remembering to give us five stars or better. We really, really appreciate that. And so I want to say thank you again for allowing me into your lives. Catch you on the next time. Bye.